Coming into OU's season opener against Florida Atlantic, one of the things I wanted to see from Sooners quarterback Kyler Murray was the ability to play comfortably within the pocket, within the structure of the play, running the OU offense for four quarters. After all, we've seen Murray successfully present those attributes as a Sooner, albeit in brief appearances in 2017. Well, I guess I'm still waiting for an opportunity to see Murray run the OU offense for a complete game because... The Sooners beat the crap out of the Owls on Saturday, and Kyler took a seat on the bench before halftime. As I expected, OU's offense was prepared, sharp, and explosive against an FAU defense that was completely overmatched. Even though Kyler didn't play anywhere near a full four quarters, I still saw some things that I hoped I would see. For example, Murray rarely used his legs against the Owls. In fact, he only used them in case of emergency, like on that crazy scramble play where he ran probably 80 yards around the FAU defense before picking up 15 and the first down. All in all, in 30 total snaps against the Owls, Lincoln Riley called just one designed run play, and it came in the very first series of the game, and Murray lost a couple of yards on that play. This is an encouraging sign for me moving forward. Although I know I'm in the vast minority of Sooner supporters, I contend to OU's best chance of winning a national title is for Murray to play the quarterback position as a distributor of the football, much like Baker Mayfield, as opposed to a Lamar Jackson-type athlete-slash-runner who can also throw a little bit. Speaking of Murray being a distributor of the football, he effectively played that role back on Saturday, 9 of 11, 209 yards, two touchdown passes, one of which was a beautiful deep ball to Marquise Brown that blew the top off of the FAU defense. While that was Murray's best throw of the day, a different throw stood out to me much more in the grand scheme of things. I'm talking about Oklahoma's first series, second and 12 from the Sooners' 37-yard line. One play earlier, Murray kept the ball on a designed run play, and as I previously mentioned, he was stopped for a loss of two yards. With Rodney Anderson to his right, Murray took the shotgun snap. After a beat, he felt some pressure from his, from his right. The FAU defensive end had stunted inside, putting pressure on center Jonathan Alvarez. Murray felt the pressure, stepped up nicely. All while keeping his eyes downfield, Kyler then delivered a perfect touch pass over the heads of three FAU defenders right into the arms of Marquise Brown. 16 yards, first down Oklahoma. On the surface, this play may have looked like a simple completion to move the chains, but what I saw was Kyler Murray show pocket presence and the willingness to deliver the football down the field to one of his playmakers. When Murray stepped up in the pocket on this play, he had a gaping hole to his left. He could have easily pulled the ball down and used his legs to scamper for the first down, but that didn't even enter his brain. Kyler Murray is incredibly athletic and probably the fastest starting quarterback in college football. But he doesn't want to be a guy known for his ability to run the ball. Kyler appreciates what it takes to play the QB position at a high level, and he knows the main job of the quarterback is to distribute and put his teammates in the best position to succeed. In 30 snaps on Saturday, Murray did just that. Sure, it wasn't a full game of action, but OU starting quarterback did exactly what I wanted to see him do. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Riella will punt it away from inside his own 15. C.D. Lamb, the sophomore. 
Very versatile player. And that one is blocked. Oklahoma got it. Touchdown, Sooners. Lee Morris and Curtis Bolton welcome us into the latest edition of West of Everest. For the first time in five seasons, the Sooners blocked a punt. And for the first time since 2002, an OU block punt resulted in an OU touchdown. That big play gave the Sooners a 14-0 first quarter lead. OU went on to crush FAU 63-14. By the way, I got a perfect front row view of that block punt. The football launched right at me as I was shooting the game in the end zone for Oklahoma City's News 9. Happy to report the first block punt touchdown for the Sooners in 16 years. Looked pretty awesome up close and personal. Hey everyone, once again, I am Lee Benson. My brother Grant will join the show here in a moment. He's back from his European honeymoon. He was pretty much dead wrong about how this game would play out. Grant's even taken a little heat on social media from some of the West of Everest listeners. I'll give the floor to Grant here shortly for him to address all of this, and I'm sure a lot more. But first, if you like this podcast, tell your friends, tell your family. It's finally football season, and Oklahoma looked pretty damn good in week one, which means West of Everest is going to be pretty damn good moving forward. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review on iTunes as well. Like the show on Facebook. Follow Grant and I on Twitter if you'd like. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25, at Grant Benson 25. If you like email, you can hit us up at westofeverest at gmail.com. All right, Grant, you're back from Europe. I would ask you about all of that, but I'd suspect that the listeners care more about your thoughts on Oklahoma football as opposed to as opposed to your trip. Maybe some people care a lot about your trip. Maybe not. So so anyways, let's first start with football and at the end of the show perhaps maybe I'll give you uh I'll give you the floor to talk about your vacation a little bit if you'd like to we'll break this whole game down today but first what's it like to take heat on social media for being so worried about Florida Atlantic hey I just got to keep all you guys honest that's all I mean geez you can't you, you can't go into games like that with so much confidence it's just uh you know, hey, I, I mean, I was I was totally wrong. I, I could not have been more wrong about that. So I'll I'll, I'll take the heat all day long, um, and I'm happy to. I, I'm I've never been more more happy to be wrong about something in my entire life. That was that was an absolute uh, butt kicking. No no other way to describe it. They Florida Atlantic did not belong on the same field with Oklahoma. Period. Well, if you're going to be wrong when it comes to talking about Oklahoma football, it's best to be wrong in this fashion. And while. Uh, you know, I was not as not as worried about Florida Atlantic as you were. I mean, I did pick Oklahoma to cover that spread. I thought Oklahoma would give up some more points, and I, I thought Florida Atlantic's offense would be a little bit better. So, although I thought Oklahoma would win comfortably, I didn't think they'd win like that. So, I wasn't 100% correct about the way this game would go down either. Uh, but again, incredibly happy to be a little wrong about week one, and Oklahoma looked fantastic. What we're going to do today, we're going to break down the offense, we're going to break down the defense, we'll talk a little special teams as well, and we'll start with the offense, and I think it makes sense to begin with Kyler Murray in the quarterback position, considering I started the show off talking about Kyler Murray. I'll just uh, give you the floor at first, Grant, since I kind of already gave my thoughts about Murray. Is that what you expected to see from Kyler? Uh, yeah, I mean... I 
as the game played out the way it did, it doesn't surprise me. He didn't, you know, it was, uh, Kyler Murray was not the story of the game at all, I don't think. I thought he took, he, he took quite the back seat to kind of the rest of the team. Um, but yeah, I thought he looked good. He looked really good. I, I don't think we really learned uh, a whole lot um, other than he, he just looked very poised. And of course, that's obviously something that's very encouraging. So, um, like I said, I mean, a, a defense that was completely overmatched. They had, they had no, I mean, once, you know, once the whistle was blown and they actually were on the field, they had, I, Florida Atlantic had no chance whatsoever. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's really hard to gleam a lot from, from Kyler Murray's performance other than he looked poised and he looked ready. Um, and so we'll, I, I think he'll get probably a little more of a, of a test against UCLA's defense, uh, this upcoming Saturday they, they did lose, but their defense did play pretty well against Cincinnati on Saturday. What do you take from my opening take when I broke down that that 16 yard pass that 16 yard pass play to Marquise Brown in the first quarter? Did you notice all the same things that I did on that play, or is that just me? No, no, that wasn't just you. I think Joel Klatt was pointing that out on the broadcast. Oh, did too. he? I mean, that was a really good. Th- yeah, yeah, it was a really good throw. It was he. he they did the they did the whole kind of. Um, sky cam breakdown of that play and he showed why that was such a good throw because he did loft it over three defenders so yes you were you you were certainly onto something Joel Klatt broke it down I uh, honestly didn't during even, the telecast I didn't catch that because I, I watched back the game pretty quick going through I didn't see much of the replays so I didn't thought I, I thought I didn't see a sky cam replay on TV I thought I just saw it at the game but again I didn't watch it that yeah closely. they actually oh interesting I think I think the you and I were I think we're watching the same YouTube broken down they that was edited i think a little bit they pretty much showed a sky cam replay of like every single play on the telecast it was nice all right well uh also on that play mentioning the sky cam i noticed in the stadium at least because they showed it and i think you get different shots in the stadium and, and, and i love that sky cam i think it's cool when you see that overhead and you see the whole play develop uh, what i noticed from that play is that i don't think kyler even saw Brown when he delivered the football just because of his stature and the way the defenders, defenders were. Uh, Kyler just trusted his instincts and the route that Brown was running and also trusted Brown and just delivered a strike there. And that reminded me a lot of Baker Mayfield because Mayfield's talked a lot about how you know people get people question his height and he's throwing over guys like Orlando Brown who is damn near seven feet tall, it seems like, out there. And Mayfield just says, no, it's all about just trusting your instincts, trusting the play, trusting your receivers, and, and reading the defense. And I like seeing that out of Kyler Murray on that play. Where it looked like a rather innocuous play to some people, but I thought that showed a lot from Murray. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I thought he was good. He, he was really good. I mean, you, I, I thought you nailed it kind of in your breakdown that he played exactly within the offense, um, which, you know, as we saw in a game like against Florida Atlantic, um, you know, I, I obviously overrated them, but in a game like Florida, you know, against a team like Florida Atlantic, uh, that's really all you all you need to see is playing within the offense, just because there was uh, there was just such an advantage on, on the lines of scrimmage; it was overwhelming. Um, so I, I I thought he was good. I, I thought he was really good. He he didn't he didn't show uh, anything to me that would cause any sort of concern so far. That was my next question. Any concerns? And so you say no. Uh, for me, I say no as well. I. I did see that one bad throw on the crossing route to Marquise Brown, but that's nitpicking. Other than that, he he looked very sharp. Yeah, I'm okay with the, the I, I'm okay with the physical mistakes. I mean, that's that's correct. I mean, he can he can watch that on tape and realize, okay, I gotta I, I gotta lead him more. I gotta throw that a little harder. Uh, that's no, he can make that throw. That's not a big deal. Uh, the I, I guess the one thing I mean, if I really want to nitpick the the sack that he took. Um, he should have seen that coming uh, because the guy was was showing blitz about five seconds before the the ball was even snapped. 
Um, other than that, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a nitpicky thing right there. So, you know, blitz on the blind side that probably should have been picked up. Um, still, uh, that I mean, that that's about yeah. it. Other than that, he was he was virtually flawless. Yeah, I think it was Trey Sermon in at running back too. I I wonder if if Sermon just didn't didn't feel that rusher and didn't stay in the block or, or what. I don't think so. I, don't, I don't think he was called out. He wasn't called out. That's that that was on Murray. Probably he, he needed to call that blitzer out because he he caught him in the blitz and he he needed to he definitely needed to call him out and that's that's something that he's going to see on tape. One final thought on Murray before we move on to the rest of the offense as a whole. I'm I'm happy with the way obviously the game went and, and the way it played out because I bet Oklahoma's offense in that game against Florida Atlantic didn't have to show a whole lot of their complete arsenal, which will give the Sooners an advantage in the film room moving forward when teams are trying to prepare for that offense. Oh, you didn't show a whole lot against FAU. So they probably got a lot of plays left in their in their bag that they didn't need to run because they didn't have to, which I think is yeah, is I, significant. I mean, I know it's yeah, I know it's crazy to say. I, I don't I don't know if they ran more than ten plays on Saturday, and I'm I'm and, and I only say that just because uh, they they ran the, the the bread and butter counter tray. I mean, uh, every other play it seemed like they were running that. So I mean, they they just kept going to that over and over again, and man. Florida Atlantic just could not deal at all. They could not deal with that play from the get-go, at, I mean, at all. Yeah, FAU just joins the club of defenses that have trouble with that bread-and-butter play. As a whole, Oklahoma, 650 total yards, incredibly balanced, 334 through the air, 316 on the ground. OU averaged 10.5 yards per play. That is awesome. Love that, obviously. Uh, Rodney Anderson, Trey Sermon, both – did Yeoman's work on the ground. Rodney Anderson, 100 yards and only five carries, had a couple touchdowns. Trey Sermon had the touchdown run. He had nine carries for 69 yards. So the running game was great. Also throwing TJ Pledger, Marcellia Sutton. Kennedy Brooks also got carries in the second half as well. Receiving, it was all Marquise Brown for the most part. Six catches, 133 yards in that long touchdown. C.D. Lamb, though, and Grant Calcaterra not really utilized much within the offense. Lamb just two catches. Calcaterra just that one short grab from Kyler Murray. Were you surprised that Lamb and Calcaterra were not more heavily involved in the offense on Saturday? Well, I mean, not with how the game went. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if if the game was like, you know, a, a really close game into the fourth quarter, yeah, it would have surprised me. But, you know, the, the first team offense played 30 snaps, so it's really not that much of a surprise. And I, I thought it became pretty clear early on. I mean, Marquise Brown's the go-to guy in the passing game in this offense. Clearly, I think. I mean, at least you know if if we're gonna if we're gonna take anything from the first game, that that you know clearly seems to be the case. So um, I, I guess if if you also want to nitpick, I, I guess if you know maybe there's a little inkling of of concern for me, I, I suppose with with maybe Kyler staring down Marquise Brown over the course of the season, um, maybe. But um, gee, I mean, I. I, I may be personally underrating Marquise Brown. What an absolute star he is. I, he's more he, he's much more like Tyreek Hill than DeAnthony Thomas. I I'm happy you brought up the stare down because that's the one part of that 16 yard pass play that I've talked about now a couple times in this podcast that did bother me a bit. Kyler looked at Marquise Brown the entire way. That was his main guy before the snap because I mean Marquise's route was pretty cool. He kind of ran like a little out and. Uh, that wasn't an out and up, but it was like a an in and then an out towards the towards the seam. And, you know, it's like Kyler knew what he was running. He's like, okay, he's going to be open. I'm going to throw it to him. So that's my one nitpick, too, as well on that play is he stared down Marquise the entire way. It's a good defense, especially if there's more 
more and more snaps put on tape of Kyler staring down Marquise Brown, that's going to be a problem, especially considering all the other talented weapons he'll have around him. But at the same time, though, I'm, I'm not concerned as well about the lack of production from Calcaterra uh, and Lamb. I'm on the same page as you are when it comes to that. How about Lee Morris? All this guy does is catch touchdowns, Grant. Yeah, he doesn't look like a walk-on. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, he looks he looks big and fast. So, I mean, if he if, if he can provide that, I mean, that's that's just another weapon right there. So, I thought he was great. I mean, what, what can you say about the guy? He just made he made two huge plays in the game, the two biggest plays in the game, arguably. And Morris last season, two catches, two touchdowns. This season now, one catch, one touchdown. That's his career at Oklahoma. He's had three catches for feed, three touchdowns. Feed that guy the rock, man. <laughs> Do you anticipate him being more of a contributor in this offense moving forward? Because yeah, okay, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, did you see? That's not a that that play that he made. That's not a walk on play. That guy, he's a player. I mean, there's that's that's that guy can play. So I mean, he's just add him. You know, add 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 him to the laundry list of guys they can give the ball to. Yeah, but he could play presumably last year too and after UTEP and after Ohio State, he disappeared and didn't get any chances. And and my thought is. Is I'm not sure if he's going to be a contributor again. My only my only thought that maybe he will be more so than last year is that he does have that rapport with Kyler Murray. Clearly, he's caught two of his three passes. He's caught in his career at Oklahoma have come from Kyler Murray. Both of them touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, he was well. I mean, he was working with the first team. I mean, he was out there. I mean, he scored that touchdown in the first quarter. So I mean, that's he's. I, yeah, I it, we'll see. But I, I saw him out there quite a bit. Um. So. And, and and like you said, with that you know, with that, that connection he has with Kyler Murray, the Allen connection, um, we'll see. I mean, and even you know, after the game, Lincoln Riley said, "Yeah, I mean, we're going to get that guy a scholarship." Mm-hmm. So, um, we'll, I we'll see. I mean, it's 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 really hard to take to take a lot from this game offensively, other than they they, they looked great and because they they ran thirty plays and because I mean it was it's so hard to take a lot from it because I mean, the second team dominated Florida Atlantic physically as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, it was, I mean, the offensive line was just thoroughly dominant, thoroughly, thoroughly dominant. That's our next topic, but quickly before we move on to the, the trenches, how about Marquise Brown? We'll go back to him real quick. Since when is Marquise Brown winning jump balls against cornerbacks on that deep throw in the first quarter? I mean, the guys going up and, and, and taking away balls from corners now. That caught me by surprise, but I mean the guy didn't find the ball though. So, um, but still, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a, I mean, it's a really impressive vertical leap he had there too. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, he's a, he's a star. This guy's, um, I, I don't know. I I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I I was I was kind of expecting a small step back from Marquise Brown this year, but I mean, he's he's clearly a stud. Clearly, he's a very good route runner, and he's incredibly fast, and he catches the rock. So he looks very good, and he he gets it. I mean, he's and he's the type of guy too who's who, who's smart enough. You know, when when he sees zone coverage, he can sit down in that zone too and be patient. Uh, a, a lot like C.D. Lamb, I, I pointed out C.D. Lamb was, I mean, as a, as a true freshman last year was was kind of an expert at doing that. Um, Marquise Brown, it looks like he's he's comfortable doing that as well. I mean, that's the C.D. Lamb and Marquise Brown. That's that's a hell of a one-two punch at at receiver. And then I mean, just to go along with we we kind of glossed over Rodney Anderson and Trey Sermon, uh, but they both just looked I, what they had together. I think they had like twelve touches between the two of them. Fourteen, and they were just what 14, 14 well, touches. And actually, like I think Anderson caught a pass too, so it might be fifteen. But yeah, yeah. so yeah, like that many touches in like one hundred and eighty yards and in a in a few touchdowns. Like I mean, that's the. 
the offensive weapons on this team are are just obscene, and it it, it does kind of bring me back to. It, it, Kind of feels good because you hear all the you know everyone doubting Oklahoma because they lost Baker Mayfield. And it just takes me back to to what I had mentioned on the on, on the previous show. A lot of people just they really focus too much on on what it, what teams lost and not who's on the roster. And OU's got some dudes on their roster, like some just some absolutely explosive, incredible athletes on on the offensive side of the ball. And they have the best offensive coach and play caller in college football as well, which is yeah, just and, not fair sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I kind of let's let's go over just real quickly. I don't I don't know if you. I just kind of want to name some people individually. I, I want to go to the offensive line. Bobby Evans was was outstanding uh, on Saturday. Like didn't even miss a beat. It it, it was it was like Orlando Brown. And where was Bobby Evans? Uh, playing? That's how good he was. He was on the left side. Yep. So Bobby Evans, we we got our answer. So Bobby Evans, the left tackle. Yeah. So the 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 um. The three multiple year starters back, Bobby Evans, Ben Powers, and Drew Samia Lee, were all were all dominant. Were, were dominant in that game, uh, like not even like were better than outstanding. They were dominant. Um, so I, I just I wanted to say that, and that's I mean that's obviously a very very good sign. Uh, those three guys, um, all of them. Well, Drew Samia in his fourth year of starting, Bobby Evans and, and Ben Powers both in their third year of starting. Uh, they they had absolutely no trouble with Florida Atlantic's defensive front, and so that's obviously very encouraging. Lee, I thought, uh, did, did you notice anything with, with Jonathan Alvarez and Creed Humphrey? I thought they were both just good when they were in there. It looks like they, they both kind of played even snaps. Yeah, Alvarez started, so it was Jonathan Alvarez. We kind of go over some of the storylines preseason just to go over. Yeah, Alvarez got the start at center. Creed came in later kind of with the second. Actually, not, he played with the first team as well, too, I think. Yeah, they were... They were fine. They were good. I I didn't notice a whole lot of problems at all with the offensive line as a whole. Cody Ford at right tackle looked fine to me. I know one of our our uh, loyal listeners on Facebook, uh, Sydney, put that put out a great great recap his thoughts the entire game. So shout out to you, Sydney, for taking the time to do that. And you mentioned and and he mentioned that he was kind of concerned about Cody Ford with his footwork and just how big he is. That's probably a valid concern, I guess. I didn't quite see it that way as much as maybe Sydney did. I think uh, his size, yeah, he's not as tall as a as a Orlando Brown, but I I think he is somewhat athletic for as big as he as he is. And and so I'm not I'm not worried about that right now. We'll see against better fronts and see if he has some issues. So I wouldn't consider that an issue. Overall, the offensive line to me looked great. Yeah, and I thought, you know, I actually, I, I slightly agree actually with what Sidney said on Facebook. There, I, 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 if you do want to nitpick Cody Ford, um, I, I, I thought he was good. I, th- I thought he was good on Saturday. Um, but yeah, I, I do think based off what I saw in that game, I think a lack of quickness may be a problem uh, going forward. Because um, I, I do want to correct you on one thing you said, Lee. There was there was another designed run call in the game, and it went for like two yards. It was like a quarterback draw, and it was it, it might have gone for a touchdown if if Cody Ford would have been able to finish his block, and he wasn't able to, and he kind of he got juked out of his shoes a little bit by 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 the middle linebacker. Um, so I mean, there's when that. was this? And, there was Kyler had his first design run in the first series. I didn't see anything else after that. Yeah, I'll I'll go back and look at it. I'll point it out to you. It was a it, it was a quarterback draw, and it was out of they they did like kind of a they did sort of a, a fake counter tray look, and um, it was literally it was basically Cody Ford needed to make one block on uh, Aziz Al Shair, and then it would have been Kyler one on one against a corner for a touchdown, basically. Um, so, hmm. 
Uh, there was one, yeah, there was one where Cody Ford missed his block, and it was definitely because of a lack of quickness. It, it was a block that if Bobby Evans was on that right side, they, it would have been a touchdown probably. Um, so, you know, that, that's one play. Other than that, I mean, Cody Ford, he looked good. I mean, he, he looked good. Uh, there, he, he wiped out some guys in the running game. I mean, he didn't really – I didn't think there was really anything that, you know, he, uh, he, he was poor on in terms of pass protection. But, you know, if, if I have to – if I had to rank him, you know, I thought of, of the five starters on, on the offensive line, I thought he was the worst one. Um, but, you know, in that, in that context that you're talking in shades of, of great, everyone was really, was great, was good. So um, uh, moving on from that, I thought uh, of everyone on the second teamers, I thought Adrian Ely was the most impressive of the second teamers. He just looked, uh, he, he looked really athletic running that counter tray play on the right side. I got to go back to that, that runs. Was that, so did Kyler Murray run? draw and then get tackled or something yeah it, it was a draw so they did they did kind of a um, i'm going back through the play by a, play and there's no kyler murray gets stopped for anything so i don't i don't i think you're okay. i think you're out to lunch no no i absolutely remember the play so i'll go back and i i, I don't know i the box score may be a little wrong it might be that minus two yards play. he didn't lose any yards on that play though so i don't well, I, don't I don't have know. any other rushes for kyler murray aside from that one and then that one where he scrambled out to the right and drake stoops made a nice block for him to get him an extra couple yards after he got sacked yep yep we're I'll, digressing i'll, I'll go I know, through and i'll uh, i'm i'm, I'm I'll, calling I'll, you I'll, out I'll, i think you're i think you're crazy no you're not i'll go through and i'll, I'll show the play to you all right so yeah i I, I suppose I appreciate the in-depth offensive line talk. To me, I, I didn't see really any problems with the offensive line. I thought the offensive line was great. Uh, how about uh, I have a couple other topics to hit on. Uh, we already did some of the skill guys, but might as well now just go back quickly. I just mentioned Drake Stoops. That was a storyline. He made a couple catches. He's the first. Uh, I saw Mike Houck, the OUSID, tweet out that it looks like Drake Stoops is the first true freshman I think true freshman walk-on player to ever make a catch in his debut for OU. And he was listed in the depth chart as an oar to start. He got some run with the first team. He had two catches in the game. And, uh, I got, you know, he's a player that I would not be surprised to see contribute more moving forward. Didn't know if you had any thoughts on Drake Stoops at all. If not, we will move on to the next thing. No, I mean, it's just cool to see. I, I mean, I thought um – I have a I have the notes here. I thought Drake Stoops and Jalen Robinson looked, you know, of the of the really young guys, they looked very adequate as true freshmen. Um, so we'll we'll see if they get more run later on. I, I'm sure as the season goes on, we'll probably see less and less of them. Um, but I also wanted to throw out there too. We saw we saw Braden Willis quite a bit in the second half too, um, and he looks really big. By the way, he looks really big. And that yeah, that was the that's the book on him. I think we mentioned a, a few shows ago when I was listening to the franchise radio station, Gabe Eichard had mentioned that he saw Braden Willis at practice and kind of thought he looked like a, a freshman Jermaine Gresham out there just physically. And, uh, yeah, we kind of saw a taste of that on Saturday as well. Before we move on to talk a little bit about Austin Kendall and, and his injury a bit and then maybe anything else that you might want to talk about offensively, and then we're going to grade the offense as well, I want to do a little quick version of film time with Lee. We're going to bring it back for the second season in a row. And honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of this game to break down film-wise offensively. I like to do offense, defense, depend, depending on what I see in the game. This game, though, I want to do something offensively. And, and again, this isn't that that detailed, but it's something I did notice that I thought was a nice little 
uh, a nice little wrinkle for OU and just shows the ability to pay attention to detail by Lincoln Riley and the rest of the coaching staff. And it came on Rodney Anderson's second touchdown run, the long, I think it went for 65 yards. And I just love the play design of it. It was simple, but at the same time, it was an incredibly effective play because of the attention to detail by Riley, CeeDee Lamb, and Grant Calcaterra. Here's the scenario. If you're listening to this podcast, push pause, go to YouTube or go to your DVR, bring up the game, bring up the play, and, and watch it along with me. It's third and one. Oklahoma is in 11 personnel, so that means they got a running back, a tight end, and three wide receivers. In the shotgun was Kyler Murray. They had twins left with an up back who was Carson Meyer to that left as well. At the snap, Murray begins running the option to his left, which I'm sure a lot of you remember on this play, and then quickly pitches it to Rodney Anderson. And, of course, Anderson at that point has got tons of running room around the left side of the field. The reason for this was because C.D. Lamb and Grant Calcaterra on the snap both ran go routes down the field against man coverage. That got the defensive backs to turn around, put their backs to the play, so it sold the pass play to the DBs, and then once the DBs realized, oh, crap, this is a run play, then both Calcaterra and Lamb began blocking down the field for Anderson, hat on a hat perfectly, which sprung Rodney even more, and also Carson Meyer, it's worth noting as well, he was hat on a hat as well as an upback, blocking his man, a linebacker. So once the DBs realized it was a run play, they were out of the play basically anyways by Calcaterra and Lamb. And I think if Lamb and Calcaterra would not have initially uh, – let me restart. I, if Lamb and Calcaterra would have initially at the snap just started blocking like it was a run play, I think the defensive backs would have immediately recognized run, and this explosive play for a touchdown probably doesn't happen. So just the, the small details of selling the pass by the wide receivers split out and then – Blocking as the run, I think, sold this play, and I just love the attention to detail, and that's why this was a touchdown. Also, adding in that Rodney Anderson did break a tackle, I think, down the sideline as well. He's, he's just so strong and fast that you weren't going to bring him down. So I really enjoyed the design of that play, Grant. Yeah, it's really cool. And also, Carson Meyer just just wiped his man out on that play too. So I know you, you brought it up, but but hat tip to him. He was uh, – he's – you know, he, he, he's he's talked up a lot as a really good blocker, and he showed it on that play. He totally wiped out his man. And, let let Anderson get to the edge. And you've mentioned on this show you're not quite sure if he's going to be utilized like Dimitri Flowers was, and it's tough to replace a guy like Flowers, obviously. And you said, you know, he's going to be used more as a blocker, and that's what we saw on Saturday. Yeah, like Ripkowski. Like back in the day, like the Ripkowski days, which is fine, which is great. I mean, they Aaron Ripkowski was, was quite the weapon as a blocker, and if Carson Meyer could – could mirror that in any sort of way that's that's only a positive for the offense really the only negative for the offense the entire day came in the second half when Austin Kendall slid into a I don't even know what you call it a big like movable closet on the sidelines of FAU and 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 just it was it was like a baseball player who can't decide when to slide into second base and you you slide too late and you hit the base weird but the difference in that is that you can go over the base and you're not going to be injured, even though you still could probably get jammed on the base. In this scenario, Kendall had nowhere to go. He just slid really late and just banged his leg into to the the, the I don't know what you want to call it. The again the movable closet. Uh, it was a cart. cart. It was like a medical cart yeah. of some sort that looked like a that looked like one of those big black cases that you put like speakers into. Yeah. But I know I, I think it, it's a medical cart. I think 
And so it was his left leg, and it's that's definitely some sort of knee thing you would you would anticipate. Again, it sounds like uh, not again. I, I on the Facebook Live I talked about this a bit, but Lincoln Riley talked about this at his his news conference on Monday. We're recording this on Labor Day Monday, and Riley said that he expects Kendall to be okay long term, but Riley is doubtful about Kendall's status short term, and that Tanner Mordecai will start getting reps as well as Tanner Schaefer. We'll start getting reps as well. So uh, simply put, Grant, it would be horrible if Austin Kendall is out for an extended period of time. Yeah, it would really suck. It would really suck, but I'm, I'm, I am I'm, don't know. I, I have no inside knowledge. I don't know. I, I, I am hopeful that it's just a knee bruise because that's exactly what I thought when I saw it, was that it's, that's a bruise. Uh, so I think that's probably best-case scenario. Um and, and the fact that they're not coming out right away and saying that he's done for the year is obviously a good thing. I'm sure they've done an MRI and everything on it. And if he was done for the year, they, they would say so. And on Saturday, even right after the game ended, they didn't have a whole lot of details about it. But Riley was pretty optimistic, and so were the, the players as well. So hopefully this is something where Kendall can get right and be available as soon as possible, obviously, because, I mean, Kyler Murray's great, and he's a, he's a nice player, but... You know he's one snap away from from being down, and and Austin Kendall was as far as far as we know. Listen to Lincoln Riley. Austin Kendall had a great shot to win this starting job as well. So Austin Kendall is a really good player. We saw him look pretty good on Saturday as well. He, he wasn't quite as sharp as Murray, but uh, Kendall again is is a really good player. And so if if he's not available as a backup, that's that's a problem for Oklahoma. That's for sure. Anything else that you want to touch on offensively before we move on to grading the offense? No, I, they were just they were really good. I mean, that's all you can say about it. I thought it was it's about as good of a of an opener as you can you can have on the offensive side of the ball. They were they were they were devastatingly explosive. So with that, Grant, give me a grade. An A. They had an A. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd like to go back. You remember really that that last home game against West Virginia last year, which which they had you know the best offensive first half ever in terms of you know yards per play. I'd like to go back to see if they bested that against FAU on Saturday uh, because it, it had to have been close. We'll have to do that. Actually, as I talk here, maybe you could look it up. Maybe we could get some instant, some instant knowledge. My grade, A+. Oklahoma was balanced. More than 10 yards per play. That's incredible. That's always great. Eight touchdowns scored. Punted the ball just two times. Uh, there was a missed field goal by Austin Seibert, so that's just also one more additional scoring chance that the offense provided. Overall, as we've said over and over again on this podcast so far today, it's just an incredibly sharp performance, exactly what you wanted out of Kyler Murray and company as, long, as well as Lincoln Riley and company. OU's defense was really good on Saturday, but I did see at least one thing on tape that has not changed since 2017, and that makes me nervous moving forward. I'll tell you what that is right after I give you another reminder to subscribe to the West of Everest to subscribe to West of Everest on iTunes. Also on SoundCloud as well. You can go in there and, and subscribe to the SoundCloud page if you're into SoundCloud. And once you do that, once you do subscribe and, and you listen, please leave us a rating. Also a review if you so choose. All of our ratings so far on iTunes have been five stars. The reviews have all been positive. You all out there listening to the show, you all are great. You all are awesome. We really appreciate it. Now to the defense. My one thing that has not changed since 2017. Before that, real quick, Grant, did you look up West Virginia? 
No, I, I mean, I was like, no, of course I didn't. No, look of that course up. not. No, we'll just we'll we'll leave that one hanging for another one, another show. I'll I'll look All it right. up. But we'll look it up. But I mean, it was it had to have been close. I mean, they ran <laughs> I like seen any they notes like, about it yet. Yeah. So I don't I don't know. It, it, they, they may not have. Yeah, it. I mean, I don't know. They ran like thirty plays in the first half, and they had like four hundred and eighty <laughs> yards of offense. That's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> All right, well, we'll table that one. Maybe we'll get back to it later in the show. Let's go on to the defense, and I'll explain to you the one thing I saw on tape from the defense that does concern me. I noticed throughout the game that the cornerbacks still were giving up outside leverage on pass plays. That combined with five to eight yards of cushion, it really worries me. You know, one of the most impressive things I saw from the defense on Saturday was the defensive line and also the linebackers setting the edge a lot of, a lot of the times in the run game and then turning everything back inside where they had teammates to come help make the tackle. Now, on the outside with the defensive backs, this is still not something that is being emphasized. It really isn't. It's almost like they're being taught to use the sideline as an extra defender. But in my opinion, that's, that's not smart because there's a lot of yardage to be had before being forced and pushed out of bounds and even if you're able to to get to the guy there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to get there in time and push him out of bounds and that sideline is open and they could get by you and keep going up the sideline for more yardage we saw that happen a decent amount of time last season against the especially against the good teams with talented explosive players on the outside who tried to exploit Oklahoma because they were giving up the sideline so much so if that receiver gets an outside release also and the cornerback doesn't sink deep into that zone if they're playing zone coverage, then that puts a lot more pressure on the safety to come on over and make up a lot of ground to make a play on the football. So I don't like seeing the way the corners are, are giving up that outside leverage a lot of the time. I don't get it. I don't understand why they're being taught that. It, clearly, it's, it's just one of their principles. It didn't matter a whole lot against FAU because uh, the Owls are not a particularly scary team when it comes to throwing the football. So they couldn't exploit it on Saturday. But when Oklahoma gets to Big 12 play, this could be a problem. And I hate it because this is such an easy fix. I'm not sure if you're looking that de- that closely for that kind of stuff, Grant, on defense. But I was wondering, did, did you notice any of that as well on Saturday? No, I was. I'll, I'll, that's your thing. So I'll, I'll leave you with that. I'll, I'll just kind of take your word uh, with it on that one. But I... I I, I have to assume that's it, it's a principal thing, and I and I I got to think they're they're thinking you know what if they if they want to run go routes on us to the outside all day then just let them I suppose is, is probably the thinking there, um, you know I mean, you're putting your corners that, on an island which <laughs> I, I'd rather yeah, have you know, Trey hey, Mike Norwood does I'd that. rather have Parnell mm-hmm. Motley on an island and Trey Brown on an island than sorry Jordan Thomas last year because he he showed time and time again he he was not good in coverage so I suppose in that sense yeah I. I I guess if you're going to challenge your corners, okay, let them make plays. Hopefully they do make plays. Yeah, I, I agree. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I you know, I, I, that's certainly something to look going forward. And I, I'm going to, you know, with that in mind, I'm going to want to look, you know, see how other teams do it um, as well. But, you know, from, you know, to get away from that, though, Lee, I, I the secondary is really, really good. I, I, they, they, they flew to the ball. Um, there, it's that 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 position group is just much improved from last year. It really is. And all off season, we've been talking about how much we like the secondary. And and again, I don't think Florida Atlantic has the horses or the offense to really, really stretch Oklahoma's defense deep. But I was telling you going in, I mean, I'm not too worried about the safety position at all. I'm not too worried about any of these positions because of all the talent. And that's what I saw on the field. Despite my worries about just alignment and giving up outside position, the secondary was great. 
I agree. Um, they came up, made a lot of tackles. They didn't get beat deep at all. There were a couple plays where a, maybe a better quarterback, with a little more, more accurate down the field, could have exploited them deep. But it, it, would, it wouldn't have mattered that much. Devin Singletary, Grant, just on the ground. Uh, one of the best running backs in college football. Joel Klatt ranked him as the second best running back in the nation behind either Bryce Love or Jonathan Taylor, one of those two guys. That's crazy. Devin Singletary is really good. He's not the second best running back in college football. That's, that was dumb, in my opinion. Uh, he's going to have a great season. He's going to run for, rush for a lot of yards in Conference USA. He is really good, but Oklahoma contained him fantastically is that even a word I, I think it is uh 18 carries 69 yards he did have a, a touchdown in the second half and Devin Singletary averaged less than four yards per carry he only had one one big explosive play in the game Grant I love the way Oklahoma contained him that that was a very encouraging sign yeah they did a really good job uh starts up front the defensive line just absolutely just whipped Florida Atlantic I mean they up front they they got mauled up front um, so I just, I, a good game. The, the defense just physically, physically dominated Florida Atlantic. That, that was the story of the game. Um, just the, 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 the type of athlete that OU put on the field compared to Florida Atlantic. I mean, they, they had some pretty decent athletes on offense and they were just physically overwhelmed in, in the trenches. And so, I mean, that's, you know, obviously an encouraging sign and, and I'm trying, trying really hard not to get too excited about it just because it was one game. Um, but I mean, they, they looked really good. I thought, um, there, there's obviously some things that you can, uh, that you can, you know, point towards. I thought they got, they still need to do a better job of tackling in the open field. Uh, they left, I mean, they left three, four, five, uh, legitimate tackles for losses on the field that should have been made. Um, but I mean, just overall, they, they looked, they just looked a lot better. They looked a lot more athletic and just, they looked like they had more ability. The starters up front mentioned the defensive line, man, Gallimore and Bledsoe. And I noticed the second unit, I, I believe, and I, th I think Perkins was sprinkled in with the first unit a little bit as well, but uh, Perkins, Overton, and Lott came in as well as the second unit on the line. Uh, we've heard about the depth on the D-line and, and how excited they are about that position group, uh, the, the whole group all offseason. We saw that depth against Florida Atlantic, which comes in handy whenever it's 95, 100 degrees outside. It's really hot, and you need those those guys to be fresh. That I, I'm with you. That D-line looked great. Uh, a lot of push from from really everybody. Everybody looked really solid, and, and it combined for nine tackles for loss. And as you mentioned a moment ago, they could have had even more than that. They should have had more. They got to they they need to clean up the the open field tackling because they're they. I mean, th there was a lot of really good calls by Mike Stoops to get an extra guy in the backfield, um, and they just miss they, they miss the tackles. And you know, on some of those, you just you know maybe remove your cap, you know, because of Devin Singletary. He's a good player. Uh, he's good. Didn't, didn't um, you see more of, uh, especially on his one real nice run, didn't you see a lot of David Montgomery in that play? Yeah. Yep, I did. Yeah, I, th I think that was a really good... Uh, yeah, because uh, his his good runs looked exactly like David Montgomery in the game against OU last year. Because mm -hmm. it, it was all just sidestepping a guy in the backfield, and then, you know, one guy took a bad angle, so he got the corner. Um, he's a good player. But I, I just... There, there just wasn't any room to run. And, I mean, that's... A, a lot of it is the credit to the defensive line. Um, so just like uh, just you know to name some names, um, I Lee, I thought the defensive ends were were so good. Uh, Kenneth Mann and Ronnie Perkins were so so good, um, and and obviously hey I'm you guys know me I, I I'm not the biggest fan of Kenneth Mann, but if that's what we're gonna get from Kenneth Mann, then that's awesome. And that guy he he showed athleticism, uh, shooting gaps looked great. 
Um, of course, Ronnie Perkins, I know I, that's, I can't say enough about him as a true freshman. Just He made a lot of really veteran, just disciplined plays in the game, which I thought was great. Um, and then uh, on the defensive line, I thought Amani Bledsoe probably had the best game out of anybody. He was the most he was the most consistent and w- was dominant at times. He was very good. Um, and then Lee, you, the the one person I, I you didn't mention was Dylan Fam, uh, Famatu, who I thought uh, of the nose tackles was actually the most consistent and, and was the best out of all of them. Um, Gallimore, I, I don't Gallimore was never bad at any point in time and was actually you know, was pretty good most of the time, but he was only really good on kind of a handful of plays. Um, but, you know, hey, he needs to find that consistency. So, But, you know, overall, man, the defensive line looked really good. Um, they, not a whole lot of drop-off on that second unit. I thought Tyree Slott looked really good as well. I want to go back to Ronnie Perkins. You mentioned him, and, yeah, he he's a player that – throw him in with Buki. I mean, those two, two freshmen are guys. I mean, they are going to be – uh, massive contributors on this defense Perkins looked really good in the spring game I thought and you mentioned he made some real solid just veteran plays and just when you watch defensive end play and you saw this from DJ Ward a lot last year and, and I mean even and Kenneth Mann did it a lot too it's just when you when you watch these defensive ends and they're just patient and they do their jobs and they set the edge and they keep contained that's your job as a de- defensive end and there was one play on the first series for Florida Atlantic where the quarterback was it was a a read option play. Ronnie Perkins held his ground, set the edge, waited for the quarterback to pull it and not give it off to Singletary. And then as the quarterback pulled it, he crashed down the line and made the tackle. I mean, that's perfect defensive end plays. And that's from a true freshman playing his very first game. And that wasn't the only time he he made a play like that throughout the game. He did that throughout where he was able to just do his job and keep contained. He's not the key as a defensive end is you're not you're not trying to make a huge play every time. You're just doing your job to allow your teammates to make plays. And he did a fantastic job at that throughout that game. And then here's the thing though, when you do your job as a defensive end, you get the opportunity then to make big plays yourself. It just works out for everybody. It's great. And that's what we saw from from Ronnie Perkins. I'm excited to see what he does the rest of the season. Uh, let's see. Yeah, and Lee, I I want to just say I think uh, I, I think you know probably one of the themes and a lot of the questions that are going to be asked you know from the media coming up here too, especially with uh, Addison Gums tearing his ACL and being out for the season. Um, what are the chances we see a lot more four man front uh, with with Ronnie Perkins and Kenneth Mann on the edges? I think I, I think that's that's got to be an option right going forward, just because man Ronnie Perkins he looked so good against the run. He did, and I noticed Oklahoma going with like a four-two-five, kind of like what Oklahoma State's doing this year with four down linemen, and then playing nickel with like in third down situations a lot in that game. So yeah, that's it. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I I like the idea. You know, you and I, we both like the idea of four down linemen, especially if you have some really good players. I mean, if you got Ronnie Perkins as a good defensive end, then Kenneth Mann on the other side is another solid defensive end. That'll work, and then you have. Either you know you play your two linebackers, or you want to go nickel again with the defensive backs. That'll work as well. It, everything seemed to work against Florida Atlantic. Uh, do you want to talk? Well, of course, let's talk about the linebacker play because we've talked about the D line, a little bit of the the D backs. We'll get to more of the D backs later. But the big story, as far as the linebackers go, is that Curtis Bolton got the start at will. Caleb Kelly was sprinkled in as well. Both guys had six tackles in the game, but Curtis Bolton, of course, made the the big block punt recovery touchdown on special teams, and then Bolton was named Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week. 
Curtis Bolton looked good out there, Grant. What are your thoughts on that position? Maybe all throughout the preseason, do you you, know, you were always like, this isn't really a competition. It's Caleb Kelly's job. Uh, do you still feel that way? No, I mean, Bolton was the best of the linebackers, I thought, um, out of all of them. He, he just he, he looked the most confident. He was the most aggressive. Um, and he was the, he made the he made the plays. Um, so I thought he looked great. Yeah, I mean, if, if that's if that's what they were looking at all you know all camp, then I I mean I think it's Chris Bolton was was better than Caleb Kelly on Saturday. I, that's that's not controversial at all. Um, Chris Bolton was better than Kenneth Murray on Saturday as well. Uh, not none of the linebackers were as good as Curtis Bolton was. Um, so hell, I, I mean if 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 that's what we're gonna get from Curtis Bolton, I'll take it all day long. I suppose. Um, you know what does that mean about Caleb Kelly? I, I don't know. You, you you definitely have to start uh, questioning whether or not you know the, the the light will ever come on for him. Probably. When I saw Kelly, I thought Kelly was fine. I thought I thought both I thought both yeah. players actually. Bolton was. I mean, he won Big Twelve Player of the Week defensively. To me, he 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 was good. He he didn't he didn't particularly jump off the screen to me, but he did his job. He so I suppose in that sense, he, he had a he good looked game. like the. He looked like the only linebacker that wasn't thinking before he was moving. He looked like he was the only one who knew exactly where he needed to be at, at every time. Yeah, and um, and so and I, I guess yeah, we can move on with Kenneth Murray because I'm sure that you know he's going to get probably a lot of flack. He didn't record a tackle. Um, you know, I I thought he looked better than he did last year, but he's but you can definitely tell that the gears are still are, are still uh, still turning quite a bit in his head. While the play is going on, yeah, that's a weird, fluky thing that he didn't get one tackle as the middle linebacker. I'm pretty sure both of us did. We both predict him to be the leading tackler on this team. Yeah, they. It's not with how the game went. They they attacked the edges a lot. They they like they they went more. You know, we were talking about how they're going to attack Oklahoma. I thought it was going to be all about you know they're going to try to get Murray out of position, and he did a lot better with that. Not really following a lot of those jet sweeps and whatnot. What they what they decided to do was to attack the corners tackling and man, I mean, great because the corners did a did a wonderful job uh, generally, especially Parnell Motley who is who is a who's a freaking stud. I can't believe we got through. I, I can't believe we just got through talking about the secondary and I didn't even mention Parnell Motley. What's wrong? No, with we're me? not to the secondary yet. We still have more to go. Oh, we're not. No. no. Did uh, well. Well, when we first started talking about the defense, we you know we we first started with the secondary. So um, that's all I'm saying. Oh, but okay, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I just it's. Yeah, uh, it, it's just uh, it's uh, it was a weird thing for sure. But uh, and Kenneth Murray was not bad at all. But he just I mean he didn't really do anything. He didn't really he did not stick out on the screen whatsoever. He didn't flash is what I'm I mean, trying to say. For a guy who didn't have a tackle, I thought he did his job, and that's the thing. He I, I'm with you. I noticed he he wasn't just blindly following motion men or, or jet sweeps. I mean he was he was making the right reads. It's just weirdly he didn't get a tackle and I, th I think a lot of it too as you mentioned they were going to try to attack him maybe maybe try to run the ball towards him a lot and one when they did that a lot of the times the defensive line did such a good job at stopping uh, Singletary near the line of scrimmage and other guys were able to go in there and clean up as well so that's just a very bizarre situation where the middle linebacker doesn't get a tackle at all uh, I, I think he was okay uh, it's just a, it's weird that he didn't get one I, I don't think he was out of position uh, I no. I don't either. I just it, it it just looked like he was still he was still thinking a lot out there. He always got into the right position, but you could tell it it kind of, it took a couple steps where it's like, okay, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. So I mean, it's it's a it is a it's an improvement, I think. And so I, I don't. There's not a lot we can take from it yet. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna learn a whole lot more about Kenneth Murray probably against you know Iowa State. 
with David Montgomery, and then, of course, against Army in, in a few mm-hmm. weeks. Just uh, one of the questions in the preseason we talked about when we first saw, I think, the first initial depth chart, which I guess, well, the depth chart came out before the game a couple of days. Uh, but I mentioned, I, I remember Mike Stoops talking about more nickel and stuff like that. And I thought, I was like, are they going to play a lot more nickels? That can be the base defense this year. Well, what I saw from Oklahoma was that they did play a lot of nickel in that game, but they also played a lot of their base 3-4. In fact, the Sooners started the game in a 3-4 with Ryan Jones as the Sam backer, and Buki was playing strong safety. Just wanted to get that out there. Let's move on to the secondary, though, and talk to them, talk about them a little bit more specifically. I noticed we saw Motley, Norwood, and Trey Brown. All those guys got time at cornerback. Uh, Robert Barnes came in for Khalil Houghton. Houghton, of course, started. Barnes came in later in the first half. Uh, Justin Broyles saw a lot of time actually at Nickelback. And the thing that stood out to me the most about the secondary grant, and this is not surprising, but I think it's worth mentioning, the only DB who did not come off the field was Buki. How did he look to you? Uh, Buki looked great. I, I thought he looked really good. Um, you know, he he looks confident. You know, there's there's one play that I'm thinking, you know, uh, or a couple plays that jump out to me. Uh, the one play where they kind of had a little swing pass in the flat, and he just shot out like a heat-seeking missile. Do you remember that play? Um, he he missed the tackle in the backfield, but they're they're throwing a little swing pass to Willie Wright, I think, or Jovan Durant. Um, and he just he he shot out like a like a heat seeking missile and, and and hit the guy in the backfield. And there was another play too that was on a kind of a swing pass that him and Parnell Motley, uh, uh, you know, ganged up together for a tackle on that. I thought was a really nice play. But overall, he's he he just he looked like he looked like a confident good player out there. Yeah, I uh, of course like the way Buki played as well. I'm trying to think of of things to critique him on. Certainly, you brought up the the missed open tackle or the missed open field tackle that he could, he could tell he was a little annoyed about, uh, but just the way he flies to the football. And, and he's mentioned that Kenneth Murray still kind of looks like maybe the, the gears are turning up there for Buki man. And, and same can be said for Ronnie Perkins too. They just look like they know exactly what they want to do every single play. And, and I like when you watch Buki out there playing, man, he looks so little, he's a little dude, but he obviously packs a huge punch at like 5'9", whatever he is, and he can hit. He had a couple big big hits just kind of knocking guys out of bounds. He just kind of glides out there, Grant. Like he kind of just glides a bit, and then when he ever, he decides what he wants to do, he'll, he'll pounce and he'll close. And, uh, you know, he lined up at strong safety. He lined up at nickelback. Whenever he lined up at nickelback, I can tell that Mike Stoops this season, because I know Justin Broyles did this too, and he lined up at nickelback. He wants to bring a little bit of pressure here and there with, with his nickelback, maybe off the edge, off the weak side. And, uh, you know, at some point this year, Buki's going to get himself a nice, a fun you know, sack or tackle for loss coming off the edge. So I'm excited for that. Tackling, I mean, he'll have to be better at that, you know, because, you know, he's a great, he's a really nice player. But, okay, he's a smaller player, and this isn't high school anymore. So he's, gonna, he's not going to be able to tackle just, you know, with those big shoulder hits, certain guys like he maybe did in high school. So he'll have to learn to wrap up a little bit more than maybe he's used to. Other than that, though, man. Uh, incredibly exciting to see him finally playing in a real game. And there's not a whole lot about Buki that I'm, I'm concerned about and a lot that I'm really excited about. Yeah, I thought he looked great. Um, and I thought, I'll say it again, I thought, I thought pretty much everyone in the secondary looked, looked, looked really good to great. There, there was really no one who looked really bad out there. The, the, there was maybe, you know, Miguel Edwards was the one guy who maybe looked a little overwhelmed for college football out there. And that, that was it. And that was, you know, in the third and fourth quarter. 
And uh, Robert Barnes with the interception in the second half. Uh, he, when he first came into the game in the second quarter-ish, he looked like he was a bit tentative. There was one play, actually the very first snap I saw him in, a better quarterback could have thrown a touchdown pass because he bit up on an RPO and opened up the, the seam. And, uh, I mean, Buki probably would end up catching the guy down the field and tackling him, but it, if uh, the throw was low. It was a terrible throw that uh, Barnes kind of bit up. But after that, he, he kind of settled in more and obviously got the pick later on. You know, coming off injury and he's injury prone. You know, I'm not surprised that he's a bit tentative, uh, but overall, it's it's nice to see the entire defense have a have a performance like that in Week One. Now, the problem last season, Grant, was consistency with the Oklahoma defense. We were excited after, especially after Game Two when they played so well against Ohio State. This is a good FAU offense. Now we're going to see them against a Chip Kelly offense next week. I don't know what to expect, but, I mean, this Oklahoma defense in the first game against FAU only allowed 324 total yards and only allowed 4.4 yards per play. That's damn near elite. Uh, I can't imagine that's going to continue all season long. If so, Oklahoma's going to win the national championship going away. There's no doubt about it. But uh, obviously positive signs about the defense. Anything else you want to talk about before we give them a grade? Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, just again, I'm going to say my boy Trey Brown outside of Parnell Motley, I thought they – I thought. Motley and Brown were the two best players in the secondary um, in the game. You know, not to mention Buki, who I thought you know was a standout as well. But um, Trey Brown, man, that guy just makes plays. Get that guy on the field. Um, he's he's good, man. He's good. Um, so uh, you know, I thought you know Justin Broyles was uh, you know wasn't very noticeable out there. That's a good thing. He got an abs- he had an absolutely awful penalty called on him. Um, oh that, yeah, that was that was brutal. Which which pisses me off now. I'm thinking about it because it led to uh, to Florida Atlantic scoring their second. <clears throat> excuse me, led to Florida Atlantic scoring their second touchdown, which which kind of pissed me off. Um, just God, what a terrible call that was. That was perfect coverage. Yeah, um, that was perfect coverage. Uh, but other than that, it's all. I mean, just the the secondary is it's good, man. It's really really good. Uh, they they just, they fly to the ball. Um, I, I would say, you know, obviously the open field tackling needs to improve and, you know, that's, that's kind of been a theme for about a decade now. Uh, but when you're flying to the ball like that, it certainly helps. Defensive grade for me, Grant, an A, simply an A. Don't have any reasons why. I guess we've kind of gone over all that reasons. What about you? An A, yeah, based off of, uh, based off what we saw last year, the last time we saw them on the field, everything we were going off of. I just uh, going up against an, an offense that that has I mean had some dudes on it, uh, bringing back some legitimate guys from, you know, one of the ten best offenses in college football last year. They uh, they shut them down, uh, physically dominated them. I I wasn't expecting it. Um, you know, hey, I I think that that really is one of my big uh, blind spots as as an analyst as as somebody who's gonna you know a, um, a, an analyst is I, I I really do let kind of the past. Uh, you know, past trends really fog my thinking a lot, um, and really, I, I just I, I I was so hung up on those those previous three seasons that I had mentioned where where they had struggled in these in, in these exact situations, um, and, and I think that's where I came from. That's that's why I missed on this game so much, and um, it's it, it's it's very encouraging to see. I, I'm really trying not trying not too hard to get uh, to get too excited, but. It's certainly encouraging. They they just looked so much better. One uh, final note on the defense. A couple notes actually. I noticed on the field pregame down there. Uh, well, your your favorite player ever, Delaren Turner Yelgrant. I I think he he might be 
out for a significant period of time. Uh, I can't remember which leg, but I think it was his right leg. He had a pretty big brace on his right leg, and he was not dressed for the game. So DeLaren Turner-Yell is hurt. Uh, again, the secondary is so deep that – and he and he's a true freshman, so it's, it's, it's not uh, too concerning. But the fact that he was talked about so much at the end of preseason camp makes you think, okay, he's a player that's pretty good, so it's not great that it looks like he might not be able to play this season. And also, too – well, first, I'll just. Do you want to comment on your 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 favorite guy, uh, DTY? That's just disappointing. That's all. And uh, the last thing too, I just kind of thought of when you you mentioned the defense. You know, Mike Stoops after the game, <laughs> he's just Mike Stoops is just kind of like he's a pretty blunt guy, and he'll say stuff, and you're like, okay. He basically said, I can't remember the exact quote, but he wasn't afraid to be like, yeah, we kind of expected FAU to give us a better game. <laughs> He said, "We yeah, we prepared for, we certainly prepared for that." So, in a weird way, kind of, kind of saying like, "Man, that they weren't as good as we thought they were." Uh, and you know, he didn't say that outright, but that, the implication was kind of that, which I thought was kind of funny that he had no problem saying that up at the post game presser. Yeah, <laughs> so. hey, I mean, they were they were obviously ready to play that game. I mean, that was so. I I, I had said it a little bit. I, I had like a, a Facebook post kind of at the end of the first half, just because I wanted to say something because. You know, I had turned out to be just so monumentally wrong on on my predictions, uh, but that 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 was the that was the best opening game they've played uh, in a decade. It's not even really close. I um, in two thousand and seven they beat North Texas by like sixty points in the opening game. That was the best opener they've played since then, easily. This is the biggest blowout on opening day at or the the home opener for OU since oh eight. Whenever they uh, was it the um, oh wait I think it was like the game because we were at that game Grant was it Chattanooga yeah Tennessee, it was Chattanooga it was, and it Chattanooga. was like fifty to nothing or something it or was fifty to two it was a two there was a there was a safety I don't know why I don't know what it is with all the great OU defensive performances and why there's got to be a safety in there to ruin the <laughs> yeah, shutout I know <laughs> I mean not so, yeah n- yeah I mean that was against yeah. an FCS team but still and of course OU went on to to have an incredible season that year. Quickly on special teams, hey, pump block touchdown. That was our intro today. We had the Lee Morris block. We had the Curtis Bolton recovery. The first thought, obviously, out of everyone's minds is, man, it's great that Shane Beamer is on this staff. And and hearing more from the coaches, I can't remember if it was pre, if it was post-game or if it was maybe leading up to the week, it sounds like Beamer and Jay Bulware are, are kind of going halvesies a bit on special teams. And it certainly shows. I mean, Oklahoma has not, punted, uh, has not blocked a punt since 2013. And like I said earlier in the show, that was the first time they blocked the punt and scored a touchdown on that on, on that said block punt since 2002. And it just took the second punt of the season for Oklahoma to have that happen. Uh, you know, it's a mixture, I think, of, of a new philosophy for OU, clearly, and also a mixture of FAU just breaking down horribly on punt protection. But still, Oklahoma will take it. What do you think about that? Yeah, more of that, please. Insert it directly into my veins. I want it. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, that's just that's. It's, sir. I mean, if you block a punt for a touchdown, it's ba- it's game over. And I think actually Curtis Bolton, I think said that at the end of the game too, that it, it really is like statistically over the course of like college football history, if you if you have a special teams touchdown like that, game's over. You're gonna win the game basically. Uh, so, God, I love it, man. It's they've it's it's been so long that this program has neglected special teams. It can be a weapon. That's why they lost the Rose Bowl. So I mean, it's just. 
I mean, come on, it's 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 a no brainer, and, and I'm so happy to see it again. And I and I hope that 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 continues to be a trend uh, throughout the season. Obviously. Yeah, I'm with you. And we didn't see really any sort of developments on kickoff as far as the new kickoff rules. Uh, it seems like the play against FAU was for Austin Cyber to just boot it out of the end zone like he did for the most part all of last season. So nothing uh, as far as like trying to pin teams deep. You know, probably something that Oklahoma will, will save for certain games, certain opponents. Uh, in, in certain times when they think they need it, I, I gotta think that that's part of the uh, part of their arsenal. It's just I'm not so sure it's gonna matter if, if teams can call for fair catches at the seven yard line and have it be a touchback. So that's, that's something again too to keep a watch out for the rest of the year. Yeah, for uh, sure. That's all I have, Grant, on the on OU. I think we we went about an hour talking OU. I, I think we're good. We covered it. Uh, again, I mean, that was one of those games where really only a half of football is worth discussing. I know the, a lot of second-teamers got some play after halftime. Great. Didn't spend as much time watching that as they did the first half. And already looking forward, obviously, to UCLA. Would you like now to give us some nuggets on your honeymoon? Well, I mean, it depends on what you uh, – we did We did pretty much all the all the regular tourist stuff. Um, the uh, – the uh, the watching experience in Amsterdam was certainly pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. How did you watch the game? That's I, a good one. That's a I good ended thing to up, talk about. I ended up watching the game uh, through an illegal stream, actually. Um, so I, I I I watched it through Reddit. Um, that was that ended up being the best option. We went to uh, me and my wife. We went to a uh, we went to this little place about uh, about a mile and a half from our hotel. Uh, called it was called the Satellite Sports Cafe, and they were, you know, they they were advertising it. the The OU game was one of the games that they were saying they were going to play, and so we got there. Oh, probably like you know, forty five minutes before the game, and the bar just kind of sucked. Like, I mean, it was it was expensive. Everything was overpriced, and the game was on this little small little like twenty four inch, barely high def TV, and. And my and you know we were both me and my wife were both kind of just sitting there looking at each other, thinking like, do we really want to sit here for four hours and watch this game? Um, so at about at about five thirty Amsterdam time, the game was starting at six there, six p.m. Uh, we decided right at the last second. I was like, hey, if we if we're gonna go, we gotta go now. So we 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 ran outside and we we were able to catch a train back to our hotel. Um, and I sat down at the the computer screen at our hotel about five minutes before the game started and was able to see every minute of it. So. Um, and I was able to watch other games as well, um, instead of like soccer games and whatnot. So, <laughs> um, that, yeah, it, it worked out perfectly, but it was, it was definitely, uh, you know, the, the very first Saturday of the college football season is always, you know, a pretty special day for me. It's one of my, you know, most, you know, it's, it's the day that, you know, I arguably look forward to the most over the course of, you know, the year. And this one was definitely unique. Being in Amsterdam was, it was certainly unique experience, very memorable, um, and it made it even better that the game was just was just not stressful at all. I mean, it was it was over ten minutes into the game, so uh, good times. Uh, just really really cool times. Um, Amsterdam was by far our favorite place. So I, I would um, if if you're really into like very walkable cities and and beautiful architecture and whatnot, uh, Amsterdam is for you. It's a cool place and uh, was a great place to watch the watch the OU game. Well, I think you made the right decision on moving from the restaurant back to your place to watch the game. I think that's a lot more fun anyways because you can you can watch it a lot more closely. And then, like you said, you watch other games. And um, it's cool that you got a chance to go and see the world like that for two weeks. And actually, one last thing for you. I mean, you basically, from the middle of August until kickoff, 
you were on vacation, so you didn't have to wait until the that first game. You were you were distracted by Europe. So now that you're back in the real world, are you just depressed? No, not at all. I mean, it's kind of more more refreshed, ready to kind of get back to the grind of it. Um, but you know, it was. It's cool. I got when I was in Rome, I got one boomer sooner because the I, I wore like my OU shirt around one of the days, so that was cool. Um, but yeah, it's 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 just a cool experience. I everybody, I, I would recommend you know traveling overseas just to see what it's like. Um, if you're in Europe, it's it's not much of a culture shock. They've basically adopted our culture, uh, so it's 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 just the language barrier and that's it. But everyone speaks English, so it's just a lot of cool stuff to see out there. A lot of good food to eat. Um, and Hey, you can, you can still watch college football if you have the, if you have internet access. So it's cool stuff. Okay. Obviously a ton of other college football games went on over the weekend. I've watched a couple of those games from start to finish, but I've got a million more to watch before I can formulate intelligent thoughts on a lot of these games and different teams. Uh, I think you're kind of the same way, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I'm going to have to, you know, it's, it's so hard to even take, you know, one week, uh, to, to take a lot from one week and so we're it's this kind of this first month of of college football is always a feeling out period yeah so, so i mean even though we don't have full knowledge of of really what put, took place snap to snap game to game let's just for fun quickly just give our like our our snap thoughts on some of the teams over the weekend and i think the, the easy first one to talk about is Texas. Texas loses to Maryland again on week one, this time in Landover. This is a game where you and I both thought Texas would win. I thought I think you picked Texas to blow them out. I thought Texas would win by at least two touchdowns. We were both dead wrong. Uh, this this program, I, it's, sure, it's one game, but again, I mean, I, I've watched, I watched the first like six minutes of this game. The Texas offense looks awful still, and Ellinger is terrible. I mean, Sam Ellinger cannot throw the football. They cannot find a quarterback at Texas, and clearly the defense, based on without watching much of the game, the defense is still giving up points to Maryland, and I know that they had their full health of their, their full team again like last year, but yeah, Texas, again, is problematic, it seems like. What are your snap thoughts on Texas? You know, I, I said if, you know, if if they can't beat Maryland with the situation they're in, uh, Texas they got some pro. I mean they got some problems again. Obviously, I mean this there's I based off one week and you know the the decade before this. I mean Texas has some they they clearly have some kind of intrinsic, uh, just very uh, very gut level problems within their program. Um, it, it's hard to think it, it, it it's got to be up to the point where it's got to be administrative. Or it's got to be, you know, I, I suppose they could rebound and, you know, and not lose another game the rest of the season. But with, <laughs> they don't really got any good players on offense. So I don't know how that's going to happen. Yet uh, that Sports Illustrated, like top 100 players in the summer had, what, two or three Texas offensive players on the list? Some wide receivers? I mean, what a ridiculous yeah, list. Yeah, it's Colin Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey, both of them. Um, and and no, no OU wide receivers on the list. Ugh, that was the stupidest thing. Notre Dame and Michigan. We'll keep both these teams together since they played each other. And I think you were on Michigan. I was on Notre Dame just because my reasoning, again, haven't watched this game at all, didn't get a chance to see it. My reasoning is just I don't trust Jim Harbaugh and that offense at all against a, a team with a good defense until I actually see it on the field. And looking at the box score, Shea Patterson was 20 of 30, 
didn't have a touchdown pass, threw an interception, seems like he didn't have a very good game, and Michigan only scored 17 points. Uh, Michigan, to me, seems like they're the same Michigan team again where it looks like maybe Harbaugh's not going to be able to produce a good offense. And, I, I mean, Notre Dame, that's a good win for Notre Dame at, at home, even though Brandon Wimbush, his numbers aren't great either. So I'm looking forward to going back and watching this game as a whole. But, uh, you know, all the, all the Harbaugh haters probably love this one. Yeah, I, you know... It's hard for me to think anything else other than you know John or uh, Harbaugh's got to get he he's got to get a new offensive philosophy in there. It, it, that's got to I mean, that's my first takeaway from it. Um, so you know I I don't really know what to say. I mean there's he was you know he, he was so good in his first two years at Michigan and just nothing since. So I mean what 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 else can we say about him other than he's got to start getting the job? I mean it's 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 crazy that they can't move the ball uh, there. So. I, God, how uh, awful would it be to be a Michigan fan? I'm at a loss watching that yeah. offense. I'm at a loss for work. I mean, just you gotta, you know. And so I know they were they were in the shotgun quite a bit more against Notre Dame, and that didn't really seem to help. But I I also know they were they really were trying to kind of force feed a lot of that pro style stuff, and they you you gotta get away from it. I mean, if it's not working, you gotta get away from it. Another Big Ten team to talk about. Penn State almost lost to App State, and this just fuels my. This fuels my anti-Penn State fire. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Penn State's a bad team. I'm always going to tell you that Penn State's not a national title contender, and the media at large want to overrate them big time. People that know a lot about college football, actually, too, not just the media. I mean, we're talking like guys like I think Bruce Feldman is pretty high on Penn State going into the year. I want to say uh, Stu Mandel as well, maybe even Joel Clark. Guys that, that know college football, I'm telling you, Penn State is – they're okay, and if they don't have a good defense, which I don't know if they do have a good defense this year, Penn State's going to be uh, an eight, an eight, maybe nine win team at very best. Probably more of a, a seven or eight win team. Yeah, Lee, I, I got to tell you, I mean, after uh, and we'll we'll touch on these other teams, but I mean that that division now all of a sudden just looks really wide open for Ohio State after Week One. I know it's Week One, but I mean, Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State all looked. I mean, all looked average to just okay. Um, so uh, definitely an interesting development. I, I just, I for Penn State, they, you know, I, I haven't seen much of the game. Um, from what I understand, they were having a hard time protecting McSorley, which is certainly concerning for them, seeing as that they returned pretty much their entire offensive line, a, like a, an experienced offensive line. Um, so, and I mean, offensive line's been a problem for them even when those guys were starting earlier in their careers. So, they just, they just they just might not have really any good players on the offensive line at, at Penn State, um, and of course they they lost a lot on their defense, and um, you know they they got outgained by App State. So um, you know what we'll, we'll see as the year goes on. I know OU has had some really bad openers, and they've come back and they've won you know ten and eleven games in a season. Uh, we'll see. The Big Ten is you know is seemingly pretty pretty brutal this year. So I mean. Jeez, if you're you're McSorley and you're throwing it 36 times and you only have 230 yards passing, that's that's concerning. Yeah. That's that's there's not a lot of and I mean that's that's a program for the last two seasons that has just been living off of explosive plays and you know didn't seem like they had it against App State. Will Greer and West Virginia look pretty good. I, I I take it against Tennessee. Honestly, haven't seen one snap of that game. I guess it was pretty close at halftime, but uh, West Virginia goes on and wins. But 40 to 14, I think, was the final score in that game. So West Virginia and, and Will Greer, great start to his Heisman campaign. 
who knows how good Tennessee is. They've been in a dumpster fire recently, so this this might not be that big of a win when we get to the end of the season. But as a West Virginia fan, if you're a fan of the Mountaineers, you got to be pretty pumped about the way that score looks today. Uh, did you get a chance to watch any of that game? Yeah, I actually watched the entire first quarter of that game before I kind of passed out. Um, I, I thought West Virginia's offense looked really good, actually. Uh, Greer looked good. Everyone looked good. If, if you go look, they averaged nearly 10 yards per play in that game, Lee. Uh, West Virginia did wow. so. Yeah, um, Tennessee's offense is atrocious. They are they are awful on offense. Um, they looked completely punchless, completely toothless on offense. So I, I I'm not sure what to take uh, yet from West Virginia's good performance on defense because Tennessee looked uh, looked about as bad as a, as a Power Five offense possibly can. Okay, okay, yeah, that's another game. Certainly, I'm I'm. Looking forward to going back and, and watching to see how like how literally looked. Yeah, literally zero zero uh, threat to complete a, a, a pass longer than five yards on that Tennessee Man. offense. Gosh, unbelievable. Uh, LSU Miami played last night on Sunday, and I was telling you off the air. You know, we we both had Miami. I think in this one minus three or minus two or whatever the line was, and and I, I think you're a little higher on Miami than me going into the year, but I, I'm kind of down on both of these teams, so I was annoyed that they were playing each other in week one, so I had to pick a side, and then I didn't get a chance to watch this game that closely, but I mean, Miami gets their, their doors blown off on the scoreboard by LSU, and I don't even know what to think about these two teams. This is definitely a game where I need to go back and watch to, to formulate more of my thoughts, uh, but since we're doing instant thought like reaction I guess my only thing is I've texted this to you and his other friends you know this just reminds me last year Miami got incredibly lucky this team this Miami team a season ago in 2017 what did they win nine or ten games they could have easily been seven and five or six and six and a loss to uh, an LSU team who looking at the stats was not that impressive either this just kind of confirms it and I saw some Malik Rogier last night he is just terrible yeah, it looks like uh, it looks like last night uh, LSU 2017 Miami'd Miami to death is kind of what it looked like. Ooh, ooh, interesting. Um, yeah, LSU is not. Uh, I mean, LSU had like 280 yards of offense in this game. Um, I I don't know. I mean, Miami is is was 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 pretty inefficient on, on the or, uh, on offense last season. Really, really relied on their defense taking the ball away a lot. Um, it's, I, I only saw a few plays of this game, honestly, and LSU just kind of, kind of whipped Miami in the trenches. Um, at least, at least, you know, Miami's defensive or, uh, LSU's defensive line going against Miami's just offense in general. Uh, they looked a little overmatched. Um, yeah, I don't know. My, all my, me, me being slightly high in Miami had everything to do with Mark Richt, um, in the program and the recruiting that he's building there. Um, I, they, they've been, they've been out recruiting LSU lately. So I just figured, you know, Two teams that can't really complete forward passes. Let's take the team that that's been recruiting better, and that's been Miami. So, and and you know, and and the one who who has Ed Orgeron on the sideline, I wasn't going to pick that. So, um, <laughs> well, we'll we'll see. I don't know. LSU clearly looks to have a really talented defense, but that you know that's never been a problem for them. Um, their their offense still looks uh, bad to atrocious. Any other teams that you want to comment on that you saw some of the game? Because you got a chance probably to watch a little more college football, even though you're out of the country. Since I was working a lot on Saturday, I didn't get a chance to watch things very closely. Any other teams? Any other thoughts you have? Well, you know, I, I know Michigan State really struggled with Utah State on Friday night. Um, that you know, it doesn't surprise me. Michigan State they they, just don't, they don't have a lot of talent. They're they're basically uh, they're kind of a rich man's version of Kansas State, except in the Big Ten. 
Um, you know, I, I just they're they're not any sort of real threat in the Big Ten. I don't think, at least not on a national level. Um, so them struggling with with you know uh, you know a group of five team doesn't surprise me. Um, just kind of going through. Of course, you know Alabama. You know whatever the it goes on and on. So there's really nothing much to say about that other than you know they are as 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 advertised. Um, you know everything else. Did you see Tua? Did you see Tua play? I didn't see. Yeah, that game, a little bit. So. Yeah, he looks good. He looks good. Okay. So I I just saw highlights. Um, I I saw I, I watched the first quarter also of Auburn Washington. Uh, Auburn uh, like I much better in the trenches than Washington is. Uh, they just got more talent. Um, but Washington's a good team. They obviously made it close there, but that that seemed to be just be a very ugly game. Uh, um, and uh, Jake Browning for why he's not a good player. He's not a good player at all. That's actually one of the games I have watched from start to finish. Uh, the one of the big games, Washington Auburn, and I have a bunch of notes on that. We can go. We'll go through next episode. When we we t- give our picks and talk more about the week in college football. Uh, my thoughts on Jake Browning. I took my notes. Like he was pretty bad in the first half, but then actually in the second half he. He flashed and did show a little bit of of talent and some ability. And that's a game where either one of those teams could have won. Uh, it just happened at Auburn. Auburn was was basically did did nothing in the second half outside of one drive that they scored the eventual game winning touchdown. Aside from that one drive in the second half, they did absolutely nothing. Washington dominated them. And the game came down to Washington not capitalizing in the red zone. They had a they missed a field goal. To be fair, Auburn also missed a field goal early in the game, and uh, they turned the ball over inside the the red zone at like the twelve yard line on a weird like option like pitch that was a fumble. Whenever Washington was moving the ball at will against Auburn, so the Huskies could have easily won that game. Uh, it's just Auburn Auburn made some more plays at the end, and I'll have more thoughts on it too next week. So that at first after the first half, I thought, man, Auburn's gonna run away with this game after halftime the the great coaching of Chris Peterson I think probably showed they made a lot of adjustments in Washington's offense and defense pretty much dominated Auburn until about 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter and Auburn had a drive and went and scored the game-winning touchdown yeah so. I, I I need to go back and, and re-watch that game then um from what I saw Auburn uh from what I saw that Auburn was was just the much more athletic talented team from what I saw um, you're, I, you're saying I, I need to go back and probably watch it. And so I will, um, what well, was a tale of two halves? If you saw the first half, yeah, Auburn was, I mean, Auburn for the most part dominated the first half. Okay. And, so, and it was all for the most part, it was Washington in the second half outside of one drive. Yeah, and so, and so, yeah, this was a, it was, it was certainly an interesting opening week. Um, I, I think, I think it's pretty clear just that, you know, from, from a personal level, I, I, I obviously didn't have a great grasp on, on a lot of other teams, I think I had said in our preview show, Lee, that I, I think there's eight teams that are there that I think are, you know, can, um, you know, can compete for a national title. And what I said was uh, the gap between that eighth team, which I said was Washington, and that ninth team, which was Miami. I thought the gap was pretty big. Um, and you know, from you know, from that nine team on, I, I really don't have a, a great grasp of everyone else. Um, so we'll we'll see kind of as September plays out. But hey, I'm just I'm just happy that college football is back. Best time of the year. Same here. And the next month is always the best part going into October because there's still plenty of season left. The weather's great. It's just when we – I know I talked about this last year. When we start getting into mid to late October, it starts to think, oh, my gosh, it's almost over with. So really cherish it right now. It's back. And right now Oklahoma looks like one of the best teams in the country, and I feel great about the Sooners moving forward. But, hey, in this business, as a college football watcher and a college football fan – 
It's all week to week unless you're an Alabama fan. All week to week. That does it for us today. We'll be back here in a couple of days on Thursday with a preview of Oklahoma's next opponent, which is UCLA. The Bruins now 0-1 under Chip Kelly, home loss to Cincinnati over the weekend. Looking forward to diving into that game tape, checking out that game, seeing what the UCLA offense and defense looks like. Until Thursday, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.